welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. now time for our Bible reading and I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. Um, there are Bibles in the aisles and um, and so if you're looking on those Bibles um, and you're struggling to flick around, if you head to page 809 you'll, you'll find where we're starting. And those Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, um, feel free to Take those Bibles, read them, and it'll take a little while to read, so you can take them home to do that too. Um, so, from verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Please join me as I I pray. God, we thank you for these words. I pray that you would speak them directly to us and impact them, impact our lives through that. But I pray that you'd also work through um, the words of Hayden as he comes and preaches and and shares um, shares from your word. Yeah, I pray that you'd watch over him, watch over his words, that they would be your words. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Hayden. I haven't preached up the front here before, so please be gracious. I'll do my best. Uh, A few weeks ago, my wife, Mary, went to go and see an accountant uh, to get her tax sorted out. She'd never been to an accountant before, uh, and neither had I. Uh, In the past, I'd always done our tax returns myself, um, but uh, Mary had been on a few business trips uh, uh, during the year, and I thought uh, her tax was getting a little bit more complicated, and it might be a good idea for her to see an accountant. Um, It wasn't that I couldn't do it. I think I would have been quite capable, uh, but I just was of the opinion that my time would be better spent elsewhere. Um, She was a little bit reluctant at first, uh, but when she had a day off work, uh, off she trotted to go and see the tax accountant. I was at work at the time, uh, but I received a few text messages from Mary that afternoon. Message number one, you're never doing my tax return again. Message number two, you're never doing your own tax return again either. (laughs) Message number three, Hayden, you didn't even put in the right numbers. You've put us in the wrong income bracket. Message number four, we need to get a financial health check. (laughs) Now, before you get all worried, it's all good. I don't think we have any major issues. We're not in any financial trouble. Um, Maybe I just need to be a little bit more switched on uh, when it comes to managing our finances, and 
I thought maybe I do need a little bit of help. So over the last few weeks, I've been uh, doing a bit of reading and doing a bit of learning to try to uh, be better at keeping better track of our finances. And that way, when we do get around to doing this financial health check later down the line, I'm going to get a big pat on the back and be told I'm doing a great job. <laughs> in the world we live in, though, financial planning is a big business. Our economic climate is one where we constantly spend money we don't have. And living thousands of dollars in debt is quite a normal thing. Uh, I myself have recently acquired a home loan debt, uh, which besides my hex bill, uh, which is substantial, is the first real debt I've ever had to deal with. But there are so many people out there, maybe some of you even here, that are struggling with multiple debts from houses, from cars, credit cards, personal loans. So much that there is this whole industry centred around helping people to manage their debts and help them achieve financial security. And there's heaps of information out there. I've been reading through some of it. For those that want to have financial security and they want to have peace of mind for years to come. And that's because many people are worried about what might happen if they suddenly got sick or died. They want to know that their homes and their families and their loved ones aren't at risk if something terrible happened. But as we have a good hard look at our world, peace of mind and security are two concepts that are becoming less and less attainable. The future is an increasingly uncertain idea, and our world and our society is continuing to change at a rapid pace. Jobs that were once commonplace are now becoming obsolete, and employees are regularly getting replaced by robots and automated systems. Values that were once held up as being integral to our society and our culture are crumbling. And the media continues to hammer us from every direction with whatever chosen messages they've decided to spread to us. Our politicians promise whatever they need to in order to get elected and then change their mind the moment they feel like they're losing public support. And in these times where everything seems so uncertain and everything is moving so fast, many people are looking for something to hold on to, something that can help them to stand firm and feel secure. In the book we've been looking through lately, 2 Thessalonians, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and he's encouraging them to stand firm. If you've joined us for the first time today or if you've simply forgotten, this is the second letter Paul has written to the church in Thessalonica and we've been doing this series for a number of weeks now. So I'm going to give you the briefest of recaps. Thessalonica was one of the largest cities in Macedonia and was one of the places Paul established a community of believers. He walked into a Jewish synagogue one day with a few of his friends and began to teach something radical and different. He taught that the prophecies made in the scriptures about the Messiah had come true because God had sent his son Jesus into the world. He taught that Jesus had died on a Roman cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that people could have a relationship with God. And he taught that Jesus had risen from the dead and would return again. And during that time, God came into the hearts 
of many of those people that were listening, and they turned to him. Some of them were from a Jewish background, others were from a Gentile background. Um, so when these, letters, sorry, when these letters were written, the church was still very young and was growing in its faith and its understanding. And it's a church that's surrounded by and influenced by a very culturally diverse society. And Paul has been thinking a lot about the church since he left them. We read in 1 Thessalonians that how much Paul had been worried about them and how he knew they'd been under persecution and, were longing, and he was longing to see them. And when he couldn't go himself, he sent his friend Timothy. And when Timothy got back, he was so happy and he was so relieved when he heard that they were doing well. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul writes, Now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. But evidently, a little later down the track, Paul is worrying again about the church in Thessalonica. Firstly, because they're still undergoing persecution in their community. And as we've also read in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, there's been a lot of false teaching going around. And so he's worried about them. And so he writes this letter urging them again to stand firm. So that's what we're up to today. So our message about standing firm is what we're going to examine today. There's three main parts to this little passage. There's the thanksgiving at the start. There's the command to stand firm in the middle. And there's the prayer at the end. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I encourage you to follow along. I'm going to be preaching straight through those three parts. And I'm going to break my message into three parts as well. I love three-part sermons. Who loves a good three-part sermon? <laughs> few of you. I would have found a way to break it into three parts anyway, but this passage lends itself nicely to a three-part sermon, so that's all good. Uh, verse 13 of chapter 2. The first sentence of our paragraph starts off today with a big but. Buts and therefores are always interesting in Scripture because they remind you to check your context. One of the guys I used to study the Bible with used to always say, what's the therefore, therefore? So that's a good reminder to me. I was trying to think of a really clever play on words for the word but, but I just kept degrading it to toilet humour. So being the sophisticated church that we are, I didn't think you'd appreciate that very much. Anyway, Paul says but in this verse to contrast against those who were deceived and condemned in the previous passage. You can almost hear the change in his voice uh, and the sense of relief as he starts here and he transitions to talk to the believers in this Thanksgiving verse. But we, all, but we must always thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is expressing, first of all, here, how much God loves and cares about them. Now, to you and I, that might not seem like a big deal. We talk about God's love all the time. But remember that this is a group of Christians living in a mostly pagan society. The Greek and the Roman gods that were worshipped by the majority of the community would have been the kind of gods that are cold and distant and impersonal. But our God is not distant. Our God is not cold or impersonal. Our God is a loving Father. Our loving Father. And that's why Paul refers to the believers as brothers and sisters. We are part of a family. 
And Paul says he thanks God for them. Why? Because God chose them. Because God chose them. Verses 13 and 14, although brief, actually have a lot of full-on theology in them. And there's enough here for several sermons, but I'll just try to break it down a bit and you guys can discuss them further in your MCG groups. God chose you as first fruits to be saved. Now, depending on what translation you're reading, you might have God chose you from the beginning. And while they have slightly different meanings, I don't think it really affects my main point, so I'm not going to go into that today. The main thing here is God chose you. This is a big deal. Paul is not only telling the Thessalonians that they are loved by God, but also they are chosen by God. Now, this is an idea idea that generates lots of discussions and disagreements within the church. Even in our MCG group, we often try to tiptoe around this idea of God choosing us when it comes up in the Bible because we know that once those discussions get started, all other ideas get thrown out of the window for the night and we're done. Uh, Now, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I understand everything about God and his sovereignty and our responsibility. And I'm sure I never will understand everything about that. But I think the scriptures are clear here. It says we were chosen by God to be his. Not because of our merits, not because of our righteousness, not because of our works or our good deeds or our decisions. Even though we were completely unlovable, God loved us and God chose us. And this God loving us and God choosing us thing is written about elsewhere in Paul's letters as well. In the first letter to the Thessalonians, he wrote, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writes, for God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, some people find the idea of God choosing us to be very unsettling, but it should be really a great comfort to us. You aren't just some stranger who by chance stumbles across a Bible and finds a way to get into heaven. You were planned for. You were chosen and loved and adopted as sons and daughters of God, the maker and the king of the universe. What's more comforting than that? The next thing it says in verse 13 is how we are saved. It says we are saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and changes us from the inside. He sets us apart. He makes us holy and he opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel. It goes on to say in verse 14, he called you to this, this being salvation, through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, This term calling is different to the calling you and I might use. As many of you know, I'm a teacher, and sometimes in group time, I have to call kids to come and sit up the front with me. And if you're called by Mr. Milstead to come and sit up the front, you've probably been doing the wrong thing. So kids are somewhat resistant. I'll say something like, Jimmy, come and sit up the front with me. Jimmy, 
We're all waiting now. Right here. No, Jimmy, not there. Here. By this point, I've stood up and I'm walking toward Jimmy. Jimmy, I'm going to count to three and you are going to be sitting in that spot. One, two, thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> God's calling to salvation is very different. R.C. Sproul, whose commentary I was looking at as I prepared for this sermon, uses the term effectual calling and defines it as the powerful and authoritative inner calling that, do, that God does through his Holy Spirit, accompanied by the gospel. He likens it to when Jesus called Lazarus from the grave. When Jesus called the dead Lazarus, he responded with life. When we are called to Jesus, dead in our sin, we are reborn into a new life as well. How did God call them? It says in the next part of verse 14, through our gospel, God used the very message given by Paul to bring these people to faith. Paul and his missionary friends were the tools God used to call non-believers to him. Why did God call them? Still in verse 14, he called you so that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate purpose in all this, to share in Christ's glory. So this is looking forward to the end. This is our long-term goal. This is our destiny. When God's Holy Spirit finishes his work in our hearts, we will be, as Romans 8 puts it, conformed to the image of his Son and ultimately glorified. John Piper describes God's glory as God's perfection and infinite worth made public. To be glorified, therefore, or to share in Christ's glory, is to be a part of that, to be made a public example of God's perfection and infinite worth. That's what we have ahead of us. That's what we have to look forward to. We were called so that we might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in two verses, Paul explains to these young believers four fundamental truths. He loves them. He has chosen them. He has called them to salvation in Christ, and one day they will share in Christ's glory. They might be new Christians. They might be under persecution. Their world might be uncertain and scary and insecure, but these are solid truths that they can hold on to. These are solid truths that they can rely on, they can cling to. These are truths that they can stand firm in. So then... Paul here is offering these fundamental truths to the Thessalonians for a purpose. He isn't just letting them know so that they can have a better understanding of who God is. He wants them to do something about it. And what does he want them to do? He wants them to stand firm. Stand firm, Paul writes. The command to stand firm suggests that something was trying to knock them down. down sorry. And indeed, spiritually, there was. This was a young church, a growing church, and Satan was trying his hardest to work against it. There was persecution in the community. There was false teaching being circulated around. There were misconceptions and there was confusion amongst the Christians. Stand firm, says Paul. Stand up. Stand your ground. When we look towards ourselves and our church and our community, there is no doubt 
that Paul's command still applies here 100%. We know that God's Holy Spirit is in us and is working amongst us, but there is still a need for us to stand up and stand firm. There may have been a time where Christianity and Western culture worked in harmony and together, but that is not the case at the moment. As we look forward to the future, the role and status of the church in our society looks pretty bleak. Some churches like to be super flexible in an effort to stay relevant and accepted. In a way, they're a little bit like adolescent fashion. They feel like it's so important to keep up with what's cool and what's relevant. It doesn't matter what the Bible says, it's outdated anyway. If Jesus was around, he would have been totally fine with this. If we want to reach our world, we can't preach messages that upset or offend people. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Stand firm, says Paul. Don't give in to our culture. Don't give in to your fears or your idols or your sin. Don't be fooled. Satan is trying to get at you and make you falter. Stand firm against it. Don't cower. Don't run. Don't hide. Stand firm. Hold fast. Have you ever been on a boat on a really windy day before? I went sailing with a group of friends down at Sandringham Yacht Club last year. I learned a lot. I've been on three types of boat before that. I've been on the Spirit of Tasmania, my cousin's fishing boat with a little outboard motor, and I'd been in a canoe. And all of those boats had one thing in common. Sitting flat was good, tipping over was bad. Apparently, sailing is different. Apparently, when you tip over in a sailing boat, it's good. Apparently, it's fun. There was wind blowing hard across the water, the waves were battering us, and we were moving pretty quick. And then our instructor said something to us in sailor language. Now, by sailor language, I don't mean swearing. I meant they have their own sort of jargon that they use for sailing. And I wasn't really paying much attention in the instruction part, so I had no idea what he meant. And all of a sudden, he goes to turn the boat around. And the sail swings over our heads, nearly takes mine off. And the boat tips up on its side. Now, the friends I was with were workmates, and being a primary school teacher, all of them were female. So because of that, I just pretended that I was fine with everything while they were all screaming. But my future was pretty insecure and uncertain at that point. And I had to find something secure to hang on to. Jesus. Now, I wish I could say it was Jesus, but it was actually just the railing on the side of the boat. <laughs> Hold fast, Paul says here. Your world might feel like it's tipping over, but I want you to hold fast to something. What does he ask them to hold on to? The teachings we passed on to you. Remember, this is the early church, so they don't have much in the way of a Bible. They have the Old Testament, their scriptures, uh, but in terms of the New Testament, all they have is the two letters Paul has written to them, and everything else has been taught to them orally by Paul and his friends. That was all they had. That was their gospel. 
Paul tells them to let it be their anchor. Don't let yourself be shaken or pulled away by everything that's happening around you. Don't get led astray by false teaching that wasn't passed on by us. Hold fast to the word of God. And that's the command to us as well. Stand firm, hold on to the gospel, hold fast to the truth. Don't let society dictate your life. Don't let culture define what's right and what's wrong. The word of God doesn't change. The word of God doesn't falter or adapt or evolve. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. The Bible is forever valid. It speaks to all people and for all time. When Satan is trying to drag you down, hold fast to the word of God. But how do we do it? And this is where Paul prays for the church in verses 16 and 17. It says, and you can follow along with me if you like, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Now, the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to here is the word loved. Now, it's a normal thing to say that somebody loves us, but Paul here chooses the word in the past tense, loved. Now, Paul's not saying here that God doesn't still love us, but rather Paul is pointing back to an event where God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 2.20 says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And because of his love and his grace, what does it say we have? Encouragement. And we have hope. Now, Paul is commanding us to stand firm and to hold fast, but we can't do it on our own. We we can't stand firm and hold fast unless we have the hope and we have the strength, and we have the encouragement from our great and powerful God and what he has done for us. And I hope this morning that that might be a prayer for you as well, that whatever this world is throwing at you, however uncertain you think your future may be, I pray that you can stand firm against it all, that you can hold fast to the word of God, and that you may be encouraged and strengthened by our Lord Jesus who gave his life for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us and choosing us to be in a relationship with you. I thank you for your son Jesus and what he did on the cross. Lord, in these uncertain times and with all these outside influences trying to move us and shake us and drag us down, I pray that we can stand firm in you. I pray that we can hold fast to your word and I pray that you may give us the strength and encouragement to do so no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.